Welcome to Linworth Road Church, helping people become fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. Visit linworthroadchurch.com to learn more. As Rich mentioned, uh, I uh, work with our Association of Churches, Great Commission Churches, and one thing that happens in light of my, my role is I get to meet a lot of interesting people, and I wish you could meet more of them that I meet, and, uh, but I want to introduce you to this one individual. I'll put this picture up here. This is a man. His name is Avery Willis. Uh, Avery has uh, since gone to be with the Lord. I would describe him as a missionary statesman. He dedicated his life to getting missionaries overseas. And uh, Avery, I'll tell one story about him. Uh, I would get his emails, and the week that he died, the week that he died, he sent this email out at the beginning of the week. He said, the doctors tell me that I will not live past this week. And he said this, it's going to be a great week. <laughs> he knew he was going to be with Jesus Christ, and he, had a, he was the real deal. He really was. And he helped our association of churches in many ways, one of which is uh, Mike Hader. I know Chris mentioned Mike here a few weeks ago, uh, and this church supports Mike in his ministry in Nepal and in India. Uh, it was really because of Avery that Mike was able to get over there and get to know some of the missionaries in the Southern Baptist churches uh, working there in India. Anyways, the reason I put his picture up here in light of this series on parables is that uh, Avery had a big influence on me on the importance of storytelling. And he was pointing out that really storytelling is really the way in which, in many ways, missionaries are, are, are getting the gospel out overseas today. And he, and he made these points, I'll just make them here, how the importance of parables and storytelling. And there's four here. There's four reasons why we do this. Uh, and go ahead, this next one. Why parables? Why storytelling? Number one, it's biblical. You know, storytelling is really very biblical. You know that 70% of the Bible is story? That's what it is. You know, there's just stories all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so it's just a means of communication is through stories. Uh, second of all, it's very relational because stories, by their very nature, you're talking about individuals, right, typically, and you're talking about people, and there's just something about, you know, interacting with people in a very relational way when you're a storyteller. And the third thing is that stories are very enjoyable, and you know how it is that you're at work and someone starts telling you a joke, you know, well, there was this lawyer, and there was this doctor, and there was, you know, you go on from there, and, and you, your, your ears perk up because you like to hear stories, and then the final is that they are effective. They really drive the point home. In fact, it's, it is quite interesting in parts of the world, and this is what Avery Willis found out, where there, people cannot read, they cannot read or write, that storytelling has been a, a very quick way in which this message of Jesus Christ has spread throughout the world. So anyways, I just want to give a plug that that's why we're going through this series on parables because it is so important. It's a great way to communicate the truth of God, and you will see this for sure in the Gospels. So we're going to look at one of the parables this morning, the story of the wheat and the tares. But before we do, I wanted to show you a video uh, about just the way people are thinking in our culture today. So Let's go ahead and run that video, and I'll make a few comments on it. There's been a lot of talk about academia, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate? 
explicación de Yabal? How many of you had seen that video before? Any of you? all? Okay. Um, it's a picture of our society, isn't it? Isn't it? That there are no absolutes. Uh, you know, here's the way I would describe what's happened in our society. There's a verse in the Bible that says, God is love. It says that in 1 John 4. God is love. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who sent Jesus Christ to this earth, God is love. Well, what has happened in our society is now what we say is love is God. Love is God. And that is, you know, this principle of love, this principle of acceptance, that is our God. But what we must understand is what love is God is really saying is that man is God. That's really what's happening here. That whatever man says, if I think I'm six foot five, and I'm God, of course, and I, I'm the one who decides the rules, then we cannot, we have to accept what that person has to say. Needless to say, there is confusion uh, in our society, and it seems like it is accelerating. There is a lot of confusion. There's a lot of ambiguity. And the question is, how, to, how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we live within this ambiguity? That's what we're going to talk about today, because the Scripture, I think, gives some answers to this. We're going to look at this story from the wheat and the tares. So I want you to just stand with me. We're going to read along from Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Jesus gave this story, and it's an interesting story, not only because he tells the parable, but then he actually interprets it for us, okay? Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, we thank you for your word, and we trust, Lord, that you'll give us insight here on how to live in this life of this world of confusion and ambiguity. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Let me show you a picture here of uh, wheat and tares. There they are. I I call it the parable of the sower of wheat and tares. That's the King James word is tares. It's not a word that I think we use typically. The word that he used here was weeds. And so the wheat and the weeds, that's what this is about. And so you can see these two here, the the tares uh, uh, there on the left uh, is the wheat, uh, or the weeds rather. Uh, You know, that's the the bad guys, as it were. And the wheat uh, is the good guys. That's the picture here that Jesus gives. And they look similar. They look similar. And so in this story, uh, the servants say, let's just go and rip up all the, the weeds, all the tares. And Jesus says, no, don't. Just let them grow together until the end of the age. There's been uh, a number of interpretations of this parable in terms of how it applies. Uh, probably an immediate application related to Jesus' day. Uh, Jesus, of course, was bringing in the kingdom of God, and he was in this, this uh, society that had become very corrupt. Uh, they were an evil and adulterous generation. And so it seemed like, you know, the religious institution of the day there in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and so on, that they really were the true ones. But in reality, there was something new being planted here. And, and so Jesus was just saying there was going to be a day when, when these you're going to be able to see, you know, who is the, the real followers of God and who were the other ones. And uh, some of this has application to just even within Jesus' lifetime. In 70 AD, this, there was this tremendous cataclysmic judgment uh, there on the city of Jerusalem. And there was a, there was a separation, as, as it were, of the, of the, of the uh, wheat uh, and the tares. So that's certainly an application that some have brought up. Uh, also, of course, there's an application of the, the end of all time when there will be a separation of uh, those who are followers of Christ and those who are not followers of Christ, the righteous versus the unrighteous. 
So both have applications. We are living, though, in between, you know, Jesus' day and the ultimate end of all things. So how do we apply it to our lives today? And that's really what I wanted to focus on right now, is how do we, what do we learn from this parable? And, uh, and I had this question I wanted to pose here from this parable. How do we live? How do we live with the ambiguities that we have in life? How do we do so? And I think the answer is in this. Learn from the example of the landowner. Who is the landowner in this? It's the Son of Man. Who is the one who's planting the seed? It's Jesus. And so, you know, as Christians, it always gets real simple. Uh, Just do what Jesus did. Uh, Zero in on him. Focus on Christ. uh, Learn from him. And I think there are three lessons that, that I saw from this parable from this landowner who is Jesus uh, on how to deal with confusion and ambiguity just like they had there in this particular story. So here's the lessons that I saw at least from this parable. Here's the first lesson. The landowner, Jesus, understood why there was ambiguity. He understood it. He says, there's really a great verse, Matthew 13, 28, as soon as he found out that these, these, uh, the wheat and the tares that were growing together, these tares had been sown, he says these words very triumphantly, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. Jesus did not mince words on this issue. He understood that there is evil in the world. He understood that we are in a spiritual battle. There is a devil. Uh, There are demons. There are such things. That's not just a fiction of some medieval writer. Uh, This is really, really true. I was at a conference a number of years ago, and we were, it was a conference on how to start up small groups. And uh, there was a number of churches represented at this from all around the city here in Columbus. And so we were all mixed together, and I remember we were reading the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And we were just kind of role-playing on how to work through a small group using this particular passage in Matthew 4. And I was somewhat surprised because the, uh, this one individual there, she said, of course, you know, there is no such thing as a devil. And I thought, well, wait, wait a second, what are you saying? You know, there is no devil? And, and that is a very common way of thinking. And there's a number of us, I think, we can sometimes think, well, there is, there is a devil, but he doesn't quite come into our consciousness as much. We don't really think about him that much. And <clears throat> I think that's a, a really, really uh, big mistake. I think we need to understand more and more that there is evil in this world. And Jesus, the landowner here, was very, very quick to bring this up. An enemy has done this. There are times, this may seem a little funny, but some things will happen in my life. I'll see something going on. There's some confusion. I mean, this just even happened, quite honestly, last night for me. I was just getting a little discouraged. And I just, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm teaching on this tomorrow. An enemy has done this. There is, there is somebody who is actively against us. And that is just the truth. You know, the first thing that the devil wants us to do is to get us to think that he does not exist. And if he can't get us to think that, then he'll get us to kind of downplay his role. I remember years ago reading a book, and it was not a controversial topic that that, uh, Christians are dealing with, and no need for me to mention even what it was. 
But I was reading this person's perspective, and he had a perspective that was different than mine, to be honest. And after I got done with the book, I just decided to kind of leaf through this book. It was like 200 pages or so. And one thing that came to my mind, this person, there was no mention whatsoever, the entire book, on the spiritual battle. No mention whatsoever. And I realized that when dealing with this particular topic this man was talking about, this was oftentimes mentioned, the spiritual battle. And it was helpful for me to see this. The landowner very quickly said, an enemy has done this. What we see up there on that video, uh, do not look at the people. Don't look at the people. Realize that there is an enemy out there. There is someone who is like a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. It is very important that we have this perspective. In fact, how do we define what a mature Christian is? How would you define a mature Christian? Let me give you one way to define maturity. Take a stopwatch from the time you start experiencing some conflict or discouragement and start that stopwatch and see how long it is before you say, an enemy's done this. That's what I found. Does it take a minute for you to realize what's going on? Does it take an hour? Does it take two days, three years? You see, I think when we are more conscious of the spiritual battle and these words come out of our mouth, an enemy has done this. That's why there's confusion here. We are part of this grand cosmic story that we see from Genesis to Revelation where there's this great spiritual battle between God and Satan, between sin and our Savior. That's what we're dealing with. And living in this truth, I think, is I think a beginning point of us dealing with ambiguity. Let me go to the second lesson that I see from this, this parable. Second lesson is this. The landowner, Jesus, understood that the ambiguity would be cleared up in the future. In fact, he was the one who's going to clear it up. He says, let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. There is going to be a day where he separates the, the wheat from the chaff, as it were. There's going to be a day where he separates uh, the, the sheep from the goats. That's going to happen someday. There's going to be a day when all of the ambiguity will be cleared up. All the confusion will be cleared up. There's going to be a day, it says, when there is a judgment. Over the last couple of years, I have been more and more conscious of verses in the Scripture that talk about a day of judgment. It's something that I think as Christians we tend to shy away from uh, because it doesn't seem very pleasant. But, you know, it, it actually is a wonderful thing because it's a day when there is clarity. Uh, there's a day when God is bringing salvation, really, to his world. It's a good thing. It really, really is. It's an encouraging thing. And as this parable goes on to say, it's also a very terrifying thing. And I think God wants us to teach on this. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 6, it's one of the fundamental truths, the principles of, uh, of Christianity is he talks about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. It's a very, very important topic to teach on. Anyways, the landowner here realized there was going to be a day when it's all going to be cleared up. And I think we all like things to be cleared up. We like clarity. You know, you like justice. We want to see things go really, really well, and it's nice and clean, and that every wrongdoer is brought to justice. We love it. 
I have a good friend of mine who is a pastor in a campus church uh, in, um, on the East Coast. And uh, this, uh, this last about six or seven months or so, they have been a church that has regularly just shared Jesus Christ with other students. And, of course, you know, I became a Christian at Ohio State University, uh, and it was the most important thing I learned at the school. Now, I didn't learn it from the classes, but I learned it because there was a freedom of religion for people to come and share their faith. And so I heard the message of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing I ever learned in college is that Jesus is the Christ, and he's, he is the Savior of the world. So anyways, they've been doing this. They've been sharing the gospel on this campus, you know, for 20-some years. Well, with about eight months or so ago, uh, the university said, you cannot do this anymore unless you have a permit. You have to have a permit in order to talk to people about uh, your religion, you know, about Christ. And so they would allow them to have a, a table set up in the union, but if you step beyond the table, then, you know, you were, you were uh, going past what was permitted. So they went through a process with the university. They appealed, you know, trying to work things out, and but the uh, university has been adamant, so it was just this last week that they filed a lawsuit against the university. Uh, and I think it's a good thing that they did so, to appeal. Anyways, I was talking to this pastor, and he said, you know, certainly they are appealing to the government. They are appealing to the courts to protect their freedom of religion. But here's what he said. You know who I'm really appealing to is God. Because, you know, God is the one that I really look to. And, and this particular pastor, he has a comfort to know that there's going to be a day when every right, every wrong will be made right. That's going to happen someday. And, you know, when you have that as a, in your heart and you understand that and you live according to that day, it really helps you in the rest of your life day to day. And that was set in his mind. And you could see this with a landowner that he understood this. He lived in light of this truth, and it helped him to be patient. He hel- it helped him to be patient, which leads to the third lesson from this passage. <clears throat> and I really think this may be, in many ways, the most important of all of the lessons. Amidst the ambiguity, the landowner, in this case, Jesus, was patient and gentle with people. He says, So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. I see in this landowner a lot of patience, more patience than I would typically have in situations. I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I am a husband, I am a father, and I work with churches, and so I deal with a lot of people. And when things don't go the way I like, my first reaction oftentimes is, an enemy has done this. It's, something, it's really, this person over here did this. What, what did you do here? I mean, I think in this example, I think I would have been tempted to think with this landowner, these, these tares, these weeds are growing in this field, and I noticed these men were sleeping. Why were you sleeping? You lazy, lazy people, why were you sleeping? But that's not what he says. He doesn't say, I've got a bunch of lazy workers, I'm firing all of them. He didn't focus on the people, but he understood this battle. He understood the battle, and he understood that this this enemy had sowed these weeds. And it really helped me to see here that when I understand the battle, 
when I understand there's going to be a day when everything's going to be all cleared up, it helps me then to be patient, not only with the workers, but also with the wheat. They represent people. Uh, and, And I think what he was saying here, don't prematurely start pulling up things. Don't try to bring your own judgment right now. Be patient. doesn't mean that we don't judge what's true and right. But what he was saying is, go ahead. Don't be alarmed. We're going to have this in the world today. There's going to be confusion like we saw on this video. It's going to happen. Uh, Don't be alarmed by this. Uh, You can wait and be patient with God on all of that. Don't try to clean it up now. Although, again, we, we do take steps within our own spheres. And by the way, it's very important to notice that the, that the field is what he's talking about here. This is just the, the whole world. We, we see this in our society. Now, what we do within our own home and what we do within the church context is a little different, for sure. We bring some order here because this is meant to be, you know, heaven on earth, as it were. But I think in the world itself, we should not be alarmed by this. Uh, God will take care of those things in his own day. But what we are to do is simply take the time and love people. I think that's what he's really, that's what the main lesson that I got here. I'm going to be gentle. Uh, I'm going to do what I need to do, and I'm going to let this wheat grow at the same time as it tears. In fact, I think what he's saying by this, that in many ways, it's a good situation. (laughs) Because it's within this context that that wheat really shows itself to be wheat. and, And really, in many ways, I think, gets stronger and stronger and stronger. A few uh, weeks ago, I got to hear from uh, a man. We're part of the National Association of Evangelicals, and we got to hear a man who is the Coptic uh, Archbishop, I think is his title, uh, of England, of the Coptic Church, which is the Church of Egypt. And, of course, comes from a very different tradition than, than me. Of course, he has his, uh, you know, his robe on, and uh, he just is dressed very differently. But truly a sincere believer in Jesus Christ. He started off his his message there by confessing Jesus Christ as the one who died on the cross, who rose again from the dead, who's seated at the right hand of God. So this is, was, is his life. And he went on to share how in his particular group of churches, he's, he's in England, uh, but in the Coptic church generally in the Middle East, uh, they are being persecuted for their faith. They are being killed for their faith. And, and so you, you see this, this hatred, you see this violence that's going on with ISIS and, and, so many, and just the forces that are going on there in, in Egypt or in, uh, in the Middle East. And here's what he said that was particularly striking to me. He said, you know, the people, the Coptic church, they are really living their lives like Jesus wanted them to live. Uh, Jesus said that if, uh, if your enemy persecutes you, uh, if they curse you, you are to bless them. If they you are to pray for them if they persecute you. You are to bless them in, re- in response. And as they are being killed, they are doing that. And he said this. He said, you know, they aren't doing this because they got a memo from central headquarters. Make sure you pray for your enemies. He says, they are doing this because it just comes out of their nature. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it means. And that I'm going to be a person that amidst all the confusion and the ambiguity and the hatred that's in this world, I am going to be a person who's going to love people. I'm not going to try to get everything all worked out right now, but I'm just going to love the person that I'm with right now. And I think that was a great lesson, a great lesson for all of us to 
to learn from. So, just in conclusion, the lesson from the parable of the wheat and the tares, what's the main lesson? Uh, this is the main lesson I would give just in closing. It's this. Amidst the ambiguities of life, our path is crystal clear. Yes, there's confusion. Yes, there's ambiguity. But our path is crystal clear. Live the life of Christ. Real simple. Live the life of Christ of faith, hope, and love. I always go back to those three. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. Faith. Live according to truth of reality. I'm understanding what God says. I'm getting God's perspective. I'm oriented by what he says. He understood that there is an enemy in this world. There is right. There is wrong. And so I I, I stick my head into the presence of God and allow him to fill it. So that's the beginning point. I'm going to be a person of faith. Hope, I understand that this is not the end. There is a day when everything will be reconciled. I believe in the reconciliation of all things. It's going to happen someday. It's all going to be brought into a a wonderful conclusion, and every wrong will be made right on that day. So there is hope. And then finally, and this is what we're to really focus on, this is what Paul said was the most important one, and that is love. I am going to love the people in my life. Now, I'd like to go back to this video here. I don't know what your reaction was when you looked at these individuals on the college campuses and, uh, and you saw those people. I don't know what kind of emotion that you had towards those individuals. I had to confess when I first saw that I thought, I can't believe they're saying such stupid things. That's what I thought, first of all. They are saying such stupid things. And then I had to check myself. I checked myself, and I realized, wait a second, you know, uh, an enemy has done this. Uh, I, I began to have pity on those individuals. I ended, you know, started having care, really started having compassion on them, and I realized, you know, except for the grace of God, that's me up there. I, I'd be given the same answers as those individuals there. I, I'd be saying, well, yeah, if you want to be six foot five, you can be. I mean, it's just really a, a bizarre thing to say. But that, I would have said that probably just as well, but for Christ. And it helped me just to think, I am here on this planet right now really to show the love of Christ towards this individual. I'm not to ridicule them. I'm not to make fun of them. I'm not to be impatient with them. I'm not to be anything but gentle with that individual and just care for them. Why? Because they've been made in the image of God and because Jesus Christ died for them. That's why. And so I think that's how we live in ambiguity Faith, hope, and love. I'm going to ask the band to come up here uh, right now. We're going to uh, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the reason we are here this morning is because we want to remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. 2,000 years ago, this Jesus who told this parable had this wonderful ministry of three and a half years. He ended it with doing the greatest thing of all time, which is he died on that cross. He died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins. He paid for the sins of everybody up there on that, in that video. He paid for our sins so that we would have forgiveness with God. And when Jesus took the bread and the cup, I remember the Apostle Paul said this. He said this to the Corinthian church. He said, do this until he comes. And there's even a part of this that when we take the bread and the cup, we are remembering 
we're remembering what Jesus Christ did for us, but also we're looking forward to a day when we will finally see him, when there will be the reconciliation of all things. And so right now we're just going to thank the Lord for the bread and the cup. The ushers will come down, they'll release you, and, uh, and you can just go ahead and take the bread and the cup in your, in your seat. But let me just go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that you did it all for us. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. You said in the Word, God is love. God is love. And we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you paid for every one of our sins. And so, Lord, we just want to take this bread right now and we take this cup and we do it in remembrance of you.